This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. So people call us to help translate, to help digest and to help communicate the complex technical jargon that we sometimes get into in emergency management or to communicate uh, weather and meteorological data or training courses so that way the, the lay person or emergency managers who are non-technical can understand what that actually means for them. Hi, and welcome to the EM Weekly Show, your emergency management podcast. And this week we are talking to Epicenter's CEO, Chris Tarantino. Now, Chris and I met um, at IAEM a few years ago, and so it kind of goes back to the idea of using conferences such as the IAEM conference as a place to network, get to meet people, and develop relationships, and, you know, it's kind of cool. We're all feeling the effects of the great pause of 2020, also known as the COVID-19, and Chris and his team are looking into technology that makes doing the job of emergency management more effective, efficient, and streamlined. As many of us are working from home during this crisis, we have seen how technology has played into the role of emergency management. And I know some people out there are working in remote EOCs or virtual EOCs, if you will, and still being able to effectively manage the COVID crisis from their home. Remote working may be the wave of the future, for not just emergency management, but all industries at that point. And so I think some of the stuff that Chris is doing has cross-functional appeal. If you are working from home and you have some time on your hands and you wanna sharpen your skills, there are things that you could do right now, such as taking some free online FEMA courses, doing independent study. And there are organizations like edX.com, which is Harvard and MIT and a couple other places that are having free online courses and all different types of things in leadership that you can use, apply towards your training. If you're looking for a certificate in emergency management, check out UCI at ce.uci.edu. Now on to the interview. So Chris, welcome to EM Weekly. Thanks, Todd. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Sure. So we met a couple years ago, I think at IAEM in Long Beach or something along those lines. Is that about right? They all kind of they all kind of blend together at this point, but that sounds about right. We can go with that. Sure. So <laughs> yeah, so we we met, we talked, we started chit chatting about some stuff and learning about what you guys are doing over at Epicenter and and uh, just emergency management in general and and some of the techie things that you're really into and it was really it was really good. it was a great time right so it's been a couple of years and we've been talking about some stuff and I finally was able to get you on the show so Chris how, how have you been man man I've been good it's a it's a really busy time um, you know especially recording this during the uh, the whole coronavirus deal right. um, so it's been a little bit crazy this week but I'm really excited to, to talk with you and take a minute to just just you know decompress and go through some things 
So I, I guess like uh, the rest of us, you've probably been working from home and whatnot, and, and just uh, trying to get stuff done. And it's uh, it's it's been a it's been an experience, my friend. It's been a, it's been an experience that this is going to go down. I think as the as the greatest deployment of of resources outside of war in, in our nation's history. No doubt. Yeah, I I absolutely agree with that, and I think. I was just having a conversation with one of my colleagues today who's in a, a healthcare system over in Connecticut. And we were talking about how this is really going to restructure the conversation, you know, and after nine 11, there were conversations about where were you, what did you do? Um, that was kind of that watershed moment. And then we had Katrina and we had Sandy and we have all these incidents that kind of define our careers. And I think what's interesting about it is this incident is happening at a really pivotal moment for our profession. Absolutely. And, and, you know, as we have more and more people coming into emergency management, it was interesting because a lot of the questions I have from my students and from people on, on LinkedIn specifically is, you know, how do we get jobs? And I did a piece on on that on LinkedIn a while ago, just kind of talking about different opportunities that you can have to get jobs. And just the other day, I was talking to a consulting firm who's desperately looking to fill positions because in this case... We do not have the the emergency management mutual aid to be able to look at to, to to pull in from from other states because every state's holding their people back, obviously. So mm-hmm. New York and California and Washington, they don't have people to work, you know, in the EOC and to, and to and when I say work, it's not just to, to do papers. They don't have talent, you know. I mean, you can you can take a secretary or a or a, a clerk and have them do paperwork, but to be able to understand what's going on. And so I, I think you're going to start seeing some bigger cities booster up their, um, their emergency management capabilities after this. What do you think? Oh man, I totally agree. I think what's been, what's been funny to watch over the last couple of years and, and is now no longer funny to experience is that I've seen a lot of municipalities kind of undervalue emergency management and mm-hmm. public safety and 911 and, time and again, you know, resources that were previously well-funded, well-trained and well-qualified fall to the wayside and either, you know, they, they get shut down or their budget goes away and they're no longer as capable as they once were just because we didn't have the shiny object of that recency of having to use them. Um, and on your point about utilizing personnel and all that, I think this is an interesting incident to look and evaluate what is it that makes an emergency manager an emergency manager? And what is it that makes a good emergency manager, a strong emergency manager, a capable emergency manager? What makes them that way? Um, And I think it's going to be a real pivotal moment for emergency managers to be introspective and maybe not this week where we're in the heart of the, the COVID response, but next week, next month, next year, but to really evaluate um, and, and figure out what that means to them and what they bring to the table. Because like you just mentioned, you can't just put a secretary into an emergency manager's job. It's not about having a pulse and knowing how to use Excel and those types of things. It's a mindset. It's a quality of, of a person. It's you know the know-how, the skills, the background, the comfortability, the confidence. There's so many tangible and intangible things that make us who we are as a profession that you know, some emergency managers, they feel that coming out of school. Some emergency managers don't feel that until they're 30 years into their career or their third career. Right. Um, we're, we're having a really interesting, um, you know, 
relationship between all the different professions and diversities that we see in our in our field. And they're crashing together right now because public health and emergency management and all these different fields and industries and groups with varying priorities and perspectives are now all trying to scratch their heads and figure this whole thing out. This is a non-traditional incident and a non-traditional response is what's necessary to, to get through it. You know, it's funny is, is that there's this, uh, the concepts of, 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 of language have changed over the years and the idea of a jack of all trades and a master of none is now thought of being like almost like a slam on somebody. When that was first started, that was somebody who was meant they were well-rounded, right? They had they had a, an understanding of, of everything that was going on, even though that they didn't have um, necessarily the, the um, uh, their journeyman, basically, of, of everything. And that was somebody who was in management, right? And I think that if you take a look at the field of emergency management, we can become that jack of all trades that we know enough about everything, um, even though you know we might not be at all in everything, but we're better. And I think we're starting to see where people that they're pulling in that are don't have any skills in emergency management, they're trying to put there because they think they can just get away with it, right? Mm, um, yep. I think that's going to change a lot. What do you think of that? You know, I love I love that question because I'm a, I'm a lover of, of words. People who know me very well know that I'm always searching for the right word to communicate the right thing at the right time. Um, and I think that difference between being a generalist and a specialist and understanding what that means to this industry and understanding when you want one over the other or knowing where you fit on the scale, right? We have a lot of uh, highly technical expertise in our roster, which means that we have a lot of specialists. And that means that we get to use them for very specific tasks or very specific projects or, you know, things like that. But we don't necessarily call on them to help us out with the nuts and bolts, you know, and and going through that more general thought process. And as emergency managers, you're right. We do err on the side of being a generalist and we err on the side of knowing a little bit about everything. Um, I was at a networking event, you know, a couple, couple weeks ago before COVID really <laughs> hit strong. And uh, I was in his networking group. I don't know if this is a commentary on, on my ability to have a comment about everything, but that's why I'm on the show. Right. Uh, <laughs> yes. But, but one of the people in the group was like, man, you know, a little bit about every topic, don't you? And I thought to myself, you know, I don't know if that's a compliment, but I'm going to take it as one. Right. <laughs> but I think every emergency manager is like that, where we have to know about public works and we have to know about grants and we have to know about public health. And there's so many nuanced areas. And what's interesting about our profession, which I think is different from many other professions, is that we have to become as close to an expert as we can be, or at least know who the experts are that we can rely on, seemingly overnight once the bad thing happens because now we have to focus on that right and so we have to go from being a generalist in our day-to-day lives and then when the bang happens we have to then become a specialist or be a team of specialists and manage that team of specialists and that's really really challenging absolutely you know what i think is interesting too is that in our field since we are so collaborative the ability to have that larger network to be able to pick up the phone and call you chris over endeavor and ask a question um, about some sort of technology or something that's coming out that we need help with or to be able to reach out say to um, somebody in new york who's been dealing with you know different issues over there compared to what we're dealing with over in california that's the best part about our job as emergency managers that we are so collaborative and we do pick up the phone when we need to, to help out each other. 
I, I think that's absolutely true. So I'm a, I'm a born networker. People who, who know me for half a second can see that I'm a token extrovert and I enjoy meeting people. And, and I think even in our profession, even the introverts really enjoy meeting people because we're a different breed. You know, you go to those conferences like where we met and it's, it's like, oh, oh my God, I'm surrounded by other people that are like me, that get my jokes, that understand my weird sense of humor, that understand the things that I've been through, or maybe we've deployed together or whatever it is. There's that camaraderie in our field that transitions very, very nicely and importantly into those, those reactions and those phone calls that you're talking about where, hey, I need to have an idea of how you know, New York City is handling this incident, or I need to know from the perspective in Seattle, how is this going, you know, your, whatever that looks like, to be able to pick up the phone and, and talk to those people. And like in our industry, with, with our company, Epicenter, Epicenter Innovation, we have a really diverse, very weird network of people that we work with. Um, my day today, I mean, a, a typical day for someone working for us is is bizarre in the fact that we might go from talking to a small municipal government to talking to someone from FEMA to then talking to someone from Google or Apple or or something like that, talking to a nonprofit, then talking to businesses that are creating products for for technology in this space, and finding the people like for us that can go and transition from those conversations and have a conversation that transitions from business development to emergency response to nonprofit management and all these other areas and tying them together to create a strong, you know, beneficial outcome to the stakeholders that we're serving at that moment. Uh, it takes a certain special kind of person and a certain special type of emergency manager to be able to do that. Yes, I, I agree with you there 100 percent. So what are some of the projects that you're working on right now? Yeah, so um, Epicenter started in 2013. Um, we started off as a training company, and we focused on training, exercises, and consulting with a focus on emergency management at the intersection of technology and communications. Um, and so when we started that company back in 2013, Epicenter Innovation looked very differently. And very quickly after training all around the country and designing courses for FEMA, I took a hard look at what we were offering this field. And, and with our mission of driving resilience for the innovation age, we really had to kind of look at what our output was and what value we were bringing to the industry. And we came to the hard realization that if we were just training the users of technology, we were really only approaching half the problem, right? We want to increase the overall technical and innovation competency of our entire field. And we can't do that if we're leaving the technology innovators and the technology producers or vendors uh, out of the conversation. So from that point, we started working with private sector tech companies to help them bring their innovations to the public safety space. So on the government side, we're still doing training, exercising, consulting, safety assessments for campus-based entities such as higher ed and healthcare. We do a lot of the more what we consider the traditional emergency management stuff we do it with a little bit of a different flair. So I make the joke that people call us when they want to break the rules a little bit or they really want to push their boundaries. Um, on the other side of the company, we work with uh, technology organizations, small startups that are pre-funded, entrepreneurs that are uh, have their sights set on the emergency management or public safety space, all the way up to multinational uh, billion dollar organizations that are building and maintaining infrastructure and um, emergency management technologies and systems for our field. And then nestled in the middle of that, we have our deployment support unit. 
and the deployment support unit um, works on the public sector side to support incidents like COVID, or we worked on all kinds of uh, presidentially declared disasters like Hurricane Maria. It's one of our uh, longest deployments that we have on record. And we bring the technologies that we work with on the private sector to the field. And we also bring the know-how, the just-in-time training expertise, the technical specialists, such as social media monitoring, uh, GIS, drones, those types of things. We bring those to the field and help out with the tech, uh, tech sector's customer success deployments. What are some of the companies that you've worked with in the past? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we work with a really diverse mix of, of companies. So on the private sector side, our, our students and clients range from, uh, we, we actually did a training at Google's headquarters last year with Facebook, Amazon, Sprint there, um, IT Disaster Resource Center, um, Eagle View. I mean, we have a whole myriad of, of organizations that are technology oriented and either want to produce better products and services for our field. Maybe they need um, support on, you know, we're big on communications. Maybe they need support on communicating their core competencies to our field. When we work with small startup companies, um, a lot of times we have to educate them. Education is one of our core values that helps us on both sides of our company. We educate them on what the needs actually are in, in our profession because a lot of times entrepreneurs will come up with an idea and they saw that need on an episode of Chicago Fire. And then when they talk to our team, they realize, eh, you know, that's not exactly how it's done. And that's not exactly how you should talk to this industry in order to in order to demonstrate value to them. Here's where you should go over this. Here are the grants that you might be able to apply for, the funding vessels that you might be able to, to put behind your product. Um, and here's how you design a marketing strategy, a sales uh, you know, enablement strategy or white label training and exercise program to support your technology. So that way you're not just dropping a technology on their lap and saying, have a nice day. Um, one of the things that we've noticed is that people don't trust. No, no, no. I just said, absolutely. I was thinking about when uh, people invent stuff and you look at it, you go, it's already there. You know, we already have this, you know, it's not invented. It's just, you, you've, you've just, re you're basically re reinventing the wheel at this point. And that happens a lot. Uh, a lot of companies and a lot of early stage entrepreneurs or early stage startups think they have this really great idea. And it's not that they don't, it, it's sometimes that they haven't brought in the right advisors to guide them to what their, what their technology actually means. Um, you know, we, we have companies that come to us and they're like, Hey, we have this great idea. No one's ever thought of this. And then we point them to three other companies that are already kind of doing this and are already well established in the space. We don't do it to disappoint them or to, to shut down their hopes and dreams, but we know that, there's a lack of trust in, in our field between tech vendors and the emergency management practitioners. And, and one of our goals is to bridge that gap and make sure that we're not producing a solution looking for a need and making sure that we're helping connect the right technology to the right agencies and vice versa. And that takes an honest conversation. And I always say we don't sugarcoat anything in our field and, and we shouldn't. Yeah. You shouldn't. Nobody should. Right. I mean, you know, especially in this, in this case here, when, you have people that are putting out, you know, potentially millions of millions of dollars into something that's uh, uh, may not be the fit for what we need, you know. And I, I, I do love the fact that entrepreneurs go out and they look for for those needs and they, those niches to fill. I, I think it's a it's a great need for us to have that done. Um, but sometimes they need to talk to those of us in the field first before they start putting a lot of development money into something. For sure. I mean, in this, our goal is to drive resilience, and that might mean 
a million different things to a million different people and organizations. And the technology or the innovative processes that they utilize to get there should look different as well. And so having an honest conversation around what that looks like and the comfortability, I think, that our clients and our students and our partners uh, are afforded when they actually enlist the help of an innovation advisor, which is kind of how we look at ourselves. We look at ourselves as advisors. We look at ourselves as translators and interpreters. We're trying to bridge these gaps of, of seemingly disparate ideas and kind of bring them together so that way we can have better results. One of the things that we focus on a lot uh, on our team is, is that element of diversity and, and thought diversity is probably the biggest thing that we look for on our team is people who can look differently at a problem, think differently about a problem, and, and therefore generate results that other people might not be able to see. That's awesome. Hey, Chris, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, I want to get a little bit more into the history of your company. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we connect people with the latest technology possible, whether it's mesh networking, augmented reality, or real-time translation, allowing people who need help to find help immediately. Better matters because lives matter. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to our sponsors. Because without them, uh, there's you know we can't really bring quality content that we're bringing here today. And I do appreciate it. Please check them out and let them know you heard them here on EM Weekly. So, Chris, before we jump onto that quick break, I said I want to hear a little bit about your history. How did you get started in this? <laughs> it's a it's a funny story. I think everyone in emergency management has a funny or weird story about how they got into the industry. It's it's not uh, like a traditional profession, you know. No one has a story like, oh, well, at career day, an emergency manager came and told me that this should be my job when I when I graduate school. I don't think anybody has that yet, yet. Uh, maybe we're almost there. Um, my story actually uh, started kind of like a lot of emergency managers where I first got started and, and fell face first into this field by, by going after first response. Um, so I started off in EMS uh, in 2004, 2005. Um, rode on ambulances and kind of did the first responder thing for a little bit. I started teaching uh, EMT classes from there. I eventually got into the fire service. I, and I make the joke that I just got handed hats, helmets, and vests, and I kind of nodded and told people I would do my best. And that's kind of how it happened, um, where I, I started in EMS, got into the fire service, then got into hazardous materials, was a technician for a while. Um, did technical rescue and got into incident management team type stuff. Um, all of this, you know, when I first got into first response was all just an additional hobby. Um, my actual background is in marketing. And I think a lot of people who, who talk with me for, for more than a few minutes can kind of feel or, or hear some of those nods. And especially if you look at how Epicenter Innovation has, has evolved over time at, at, along with me, you can kind of get a feel for where marketing comes into this. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the time, uh, I was working for uh, Dale Carnegie Training, which you might be familiar with. Sure. I, I was doing marketing for them and got involved in, in teaching and did all that uh, from there. And I said, you know, wouldn't it be cool? And it wasn't just wouldn't it be cool. This was around uh, Hurricane Sandy times. Wouldn't it be necessary um, if someone combined the marketing methodologies and the know-how that the business industries are leveraging really effectively with regard to social media and new media and all the stuff that they were working with. And wouldn't it be great if someone took that to government and someone took that to public safety? 
And uh, I kind of looked around and, and I didn't see a whole lot of people thinking that way. There were some social media warriors some keyboard warriors that were, you know, tackling some of it, but not all. And the training was was kind of lackluster. There was one course in social media for emergency management at the time that FEMA was offering. And uh, I kind of got into teaching by speaking up a little bit too much when I took that pilot course back in 2012, teaching for FEMA at least. Right. And uh, from there, uh, I spent the rest of my time on the road teaching for FEMA and developing coursework for them. And in parallel, decided to start my own agency and, and start building a team around this, this idea that became Epicenter Innovation. Now, you guys are growing a little bit, right? I know you had a couple more people. Um, what's your sure. future look like right now? Yeah, so uh, we've started, we started our company in 2013. And when we did, we opted to not get an office and not have a traditional workplace. So we're 100% remote uh, digital company. So when people ask like, oh, well, how is how has the coronavirus impacted your company's structure? And are you able to go to work? It's just business as usual for us. It's a little bit busier, honestly, but it's just business as usual for us because our entire team is, is completely virtual. So um, I haven't looked at the roster in a little bit, and especially during disaster times when we have to flex with deployments and things happening. I think our roster is around uh, 40 people around the country. Um, mostly in the U.S., we did have some uh, some Canadians, but when, when the visa requirements changed a couple of years ago, those those guys had to had to move on, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a, a pretty diverse bench. We have those technical specialists that we talked about before. We have folks that you know are really good with data and with mapping and with social media. But then we also have uh, highly technical trainers, master exercise practitioners. Um, we have folks that are certified hospital emergency coordinators and higher education emergency management professionals. We, we joke around and say that we're kind of like the island of misfit toys. Um, <laughs> and we have a lot of, lot of weird people and a lot of great people. And, and I, I say that we just collect nerds as we go along. And uh, it makes for a really interesting corporate culture and it makes for a really interesting work day. Uh, I could just imagine what it's like, you know, to to be you know knee deep in the data and, and have to you know kind of swing that and reinterpret it so people can understand what what exactly you're talking about yeah and, and that's exactly what we do is is we keep nerds that know how to talk to people um we we don't develop any technology we don't develop databases and we don't develop software or, or things like that we leave that to our technology partners because that's what they're good at and we always say that we like them to do what they're good at, so that way we can do what we're good at. So people call us to help translate, to help digest, and to help communicate the complex technical jargon that we sometimes get into in emergency management or to communicate uh, weather and meteorological data or training courses so that way the, the layperson or emergency managers who are non-technical can understand what that actually means for them. And that all goes back to our marketing mindset, which is how do you create and how do you modify your message to best suit the needs of your audience? It's not rocket science, but it is hard. It is challenging. And that's really what we dedicate ourselves to every single day. That's awesome. So here's a, here's a question for you. If you could talk to every single emergency manager in the world right now, what would you tell them? Man, you know, you prepped me for this question and you told me that you might ask it and I wanted to believe you and I wanted to really think about what I should offer this. But it's a really tough question. Um, And there's so many things that I wish I could say to every emergency manager. And I I think if I could distill it down, 
into one thing, just one, I think it would be to appreciate the diverse thinkers in your midst and, and to think about yourself, not just as an emergency manager, but as a marketer, as a communicator, as a salesperson. Think of yourself as a, a steward of a message every single time you walk into a room, whether it's for a briefing, whether it's for a training course, whether it's for whatever it might be, you're always selling something. And to better communicate what you're trying to sell people, whether it's resilience and preparedness or it's a policy or whatever it might be, you have to think about what brings you together. You have to think about what makes you the same. Sometimes in our industry, it's it's clear that emergency managers are on one page and the rest of the people that we're working with are on a completely different page. We have to recognize that as an industry and, and we have to appreciate what that means and level with people, either bring them up to where we want to talk about or, or actually meet them where they are. And I think that's critical of emergency managers to communicate more effectively. So Chris, what are you reading right now? Oh man, you know, on my, on my desk right now, I have a couple books. I'm the type that really aspires to read a whole lot and seldom has time to do so. But this <laughs> year I've been doing pretty good with it. So on my desk right now, uh, I do actually have a Dale Carnegie book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Um, I've read that numerous times and it's a great read for anyone um, that, that needs it. Um, and then the other book that I just finished is called The Power of Agency. And that's a really cool book about um, kind of cognitive psychology put together in an approachable way, it talks about mental health, talks about um, actually being clear about what your intentions are in a conversation, for example, and thinking through how you maximize your internal energy. So those are a couple things that, that I'm reading right now or that I just recently read. I always like to ask that question because I think it's important um, to always constantly learn. You know, to be a, to be a learner, especially in the field of emergency management, because if you're not learning, yes. you're falling behind. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I always I always tell my team and my students that as soon as you position yourself as a learner, that you are on a completely different plane, and and there's no such thing as a dumb question if you're a learner because you might approach a question or might approach a situation a different way, or you might you know achieve a different level of understanding. And I think to have that level of humility and to think through how can I learn from this scenario? How can I make it better? And then how do I reach my future or our team's future or our profession's future just a little bit better by having better conversations? I'm, I'm always down for that. Um, one of the books that I recommend to, to everybody to read to better understand like how we think and, and why we do the certain things that we do, uh, that book is The Power of Habit. Have you read that one yet? Yes, I have. Yes, uh, it's one of my favorites. Charles Duhigg is is a master of words, um, and actually, right now, I forgot one other book that I'm I'm audio listening to. I got the audio book this time around. I'm new to that format. Uh, he has a book called uh, Faster. Oh man, Faster, Better, Stronger. No, that's the song. <laughs> He's got a book <laughs> of a title that I can't recall right now. Um, and that book is is incredible as well. And that one's all about team and dynamics and, and structure. 
I know what you're talking about, and I can't think of the title of it either. So normally I can bail people out on this, but this one, I'm sorry, Chris. I, I failed on <laughs> you. Know, I, I, failed you. I have the resources. I could figure it out if you need it. We can always link to it as well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what I tell people all the time. I said, we are living in such a wonderful age where we have every piece of information in the world in our pocket, you know? And, and, uh, and, but we seem to be dumber sometimes because of it, I guess. Oh man, it, you know, and I, I was able to Google it so fast and it's a good thing that our internet's back to working today. It's a <laughs> smarter, faster, better, the secrets of being productive in life and business. There That's is. the book. But, uh, to your point, yeah, I mean, with the access to all this, this data that we have, it's funny how dumb it makes us. If, if I don't write it down, if I don't have it in my calendar, I will not recall a damn thing. And (laughs) (laughs) that's just the way of the world. Absolutely. You know, I was uh, taking a master's class with uh, Neil Tyson DeGrasse. Are you familiar? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and he was talking about the fact that he writes everything down. And I do too that for that. I'm not doing it because he did it. I just have to do it. So when I, when I talk, (laughs) I have an understanding of where my head went. But he says that before he does anything, he writes his speeches out longhand, um, not not typing, um, and because he says it cannot, it, it connects you through the paper, through the pen, into your brain to where you want to go, and then you can also share that with somebody and say, "Does this make sense to you?" Um, after you type it out, because I have terrible handwriting. Yeah. Um, you type That's, it out and, and then you share it and then you can really formulate your position on things. And I think we've lost that art. I think you're probably right to a certain extent. And it, it's funny to, um, as a student of myself, uh, I've definitely learned the same thing and, and I have always kept a paper to do list. So everybody knows me as the, as the tech guy and, you know, I, I know about a lot of technology systems and I advocate for them and I work with all kinds of things and you can name any incident management software or any productivity software and I've probably used it. But the way that I keep all of my to-do lists is via paper. And if I have to take notes during a call, yes, it's faster for me to type, but if I write it down with a pen, then it's, it's going to stick in my brain that much more. So I totally agree with that. Absolutely. Well, Chris, we're coming here to the end, and uh, I do appreciate your time, and I know you're super busy during this coronavirus outbreak. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say before we let you go? Yeah, I, I think it's it's an interesting time to be an emergency manager. I think if you're listening to this during the coronavirus um, pandemic, that you'll probably have a different perspective of kind of what the pace of your job is, um, where you're at with things and, and what you're called to do. It might be changing every hour of every day, and, and we get that. Um, we have multiple multiple people and teams deployed to support coronavirus around the country, and they're seeing that. And I think it's important to reference the fact that there are times for thinking fast and there are times for thinking slow. Um, really thinking through where you need to be focusing and, and taking a step back to pause. And every time that we have a, a question or any time that we get end up getting spun up as a team, uh, Epicenter's deployment support unit is, is active right now. And we have calls that are super fast paced. We have lots of different things going on and people flying around the country and logistics and contracts and so much. We always try to take a pause at the end and, and ask certain questions like, what are we missing? What are we not talking about? Who are we leaving out? How can we make this more efficient? And my favorite question is, you know, are there any questions that I haven't asked yet that I should have? 
And that just really opens up the conversation for, for the other person or the other people that you're talking to to think through and really, really, really pause and think through, well, what, what haven't we addressed? What could we be doing better? And that's how you become incrementally better. And that's how you incorporate innovation into your everyday life. That's how you drive resilience. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of EM Weekly. And please follow us on your favorite podcast player. And thank you to Sitch Radio, the home of the EM Weekly show. For more information, please go to www.sitchradio.com. See you next week.